0: You're listening to Teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be, to be still before you, to rest in you alone. Truly, Lord, there's no other place to find rest. In Christ, we have eternal rest. We have the promise, the hope, the glorious truth that we will be in heaven with you forever if we are believers in Jesus Christ. If we've repented of our sins, believed in him by faith, that he has died for our sins and as he's been raised to new life, we have new life with him. We will be raised again. There's such there's such great hope in that, Lord, and we need to rest in those truths and rest in the fact that we don't this is not our home, Lord. This is temporary, and yet we still live here and we we live for you, Lord Jesus. We don't just sit on the bench and wait for the bus, Lord. We have work to do. We've got a mission to be engaged in. So help us, Father, that we might rest in you fully, be encouraged by you, fed by you, have our souls refreshed in you and the finished work of Jesus, and and then to go and to share this good news with the world, to make disciples. That's the life we're called to live, Lord. It's that simple, and yet, Lord, we make it very complicated. So help us, Father, in our inabilities. Help us, because we are tempted in many ways. We are drawn to many things. Our flesh still rises up, Lord, and we ask that instead, Lord, the Holy Spirit would take ownership. We would be filled continually with your Holy Spirit to live this life well. That we would see the the production of fruit from the Holy Spirit in our life, Lord, and we would not try to produce it on our own, Lord so father help us right now as we open your word please holy spirit speak to us help us to understand help us to walk in light of your truth we thank you we love you lord in jesus name amen <laughs> i still will be coughing here and there. oh thank you jeff i'm on week four of some fun bronchitis so i 'm not contagious i 'm just really annoying is what i 've been told, so uh, please forgive the intrusion of coughing, but we 'll get through uh, if you 've been with us for a little while now you know we 're in the book of Exodus, so if you have your bibles we 'll be in Exodus chapter twenty. We had a couple weeks where we stepped out of Exodus to look at uh, the resurrection of Christ to celebrate Easter together and we 're so thankful we were able to do that as a as a church family. I trust you were blessed and that you heard the good news, and if you do not believe in Jesus, you've heard it maybe for the first time again, and if you are a follower of Christ, it was encouraging to you it strengthened your faith. <laughs> we're moving back to the Old Testament. Uh, we've been walking through the Ten Commandments here, and just to reset the context for us, um, Israel, God's people, have been brought from death to life, right? They've been brought out of slavery and into freedom to be with their king, and so God has rescued them from over 400 years of slavery, bitter, harsh service, based on this promise that he gave to their forefather, Abraham. And so he's, he's fulfilling his promise in his perfect timing, and he's bringing them out, and, and he brought them through the Red Sea, and so he brought them across water on dry ground and brought them from death to life and conquered the Egyptian army. And so now they, they belong to him, they are his people, and they are being sanctified now as they, as they make their way through the wilderness toward the promised land. That's, that's the promised rest that God was providing for them we know it's, it was a physical place. It was temporary rest, but still for them, it was, it was rest. And so he's, he's, he's teaching them and training them and walking with them to learn how to be his people. And so God made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. They're encamped before the mountain and all these provisions were put in place to be able to interact with God and, and he's come down. He's made a covenant with them. They've agreed to it, even though they didn't know the terms yet. And And so he has come down and he's speaking with them personally. And it's a pretty awe-inspiring picture, right? Mountain is shaking, there's lightning, there's trumpets, there's fire, there's smoke. This is the Lord God speaking to his people and he's giving them these commandments. And the preamble is, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, in verse 1, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is who I am. This is what I've done for you. And based on that, this is the requirements to live In my kingdom, to be part of, to be my people, to be a nation set apart, to be holy. He is to be their king and to provide and to protect. They are to be his people and they walk in obedience. This is the deal. And these are all good things. And the law is being given these requirements to live as his people because he is a holy God and they need to be holy as he is holy. And so we've, we've learned that the law is something that we can never keep perfectly. So even though they attempted and strived to keep all the ceremonial and temple and civil laws that God is giving, and we'll see more of those expound in in Exodus, even though God has given them all these laws to be holy, they can't keep it perfectly. And so he gives them the sacrificial system as well to atone for their sins. But that's all, that's temporary as well. And we don't see this. It's all foreshadowing. It's all pointing toward the need for a savior. The law just exposes sin. It shows them that they can't be holy on their own. They need someone to save them. Ultimately, that's Jesus Christ. So all of this is a foreshadowing pointing toward Christ. The Ten Commandments we've talked about is the moral law of God. This is something that's for Israel, but we've seen it's also for us today, Right? And so god, god takes the moral law and he applies it to various areas of their life as a nation as we move forward in Exodus. But for now, we're just looking at these 10 commandments, the Decalogue. And we're in commandment number four. So we looked at the first commandment, which prohibited the any, any worship of any false gods. Right? We only worship the one true God. And remember, they're coming out of a context of a pantheon of gods. Everything is a god. Right? Everything in creation is a god. And God has already um, set them straight with that by defeating all of the gods of Egypt through the ten plagues and brought them out with mighty acts of power. And so he's saying, we will worship the right God. You will have no other gods before me. And the second commandment prohibited worshiping God in the wrong way. So their inclination because of idolatry, to come out of idolatrous nation, is to make and carve and have something physical, tangible in front of them. And God says, no, no, I'm... You can't, you can't make something that, that identifies with me. I'm other, I'm above, right? He is eternal. He has no, he's spirit. And so our inclination as people, as Israelites did as well, is to try to bring God down to our level. We want to understand him. We want to control him, right? So that's really what idolatry is. Anything that we give our affection to, our praise to, that is not God alone. And so God doesn't, he wants us to worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. And so we learned about those things. And then the third commandment prohibited misusing God's name, the name of God. We saw, we saw how intrinsically tied his name is with his works and who he is. And so we are not to profane his name. We're not to um, use his name in vain, which means in an empty way, right? Carelessly, flippantly, for wrong purposes. And that's more than just using his name as a curse word. So we learned about all those things in the first three commandments. Now we come to the fourth commandment um, this is really the longest commandments by a few words, um, in the Decalogue. And so let's read that together. Exodus 20, verse 8. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it, you, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God has blessed the Sabbath day, he's made it holy, set it apart. And they are to remember it. They're to actively engage in remembering who God is and what He does. Especially, specifically, the creative work um, that we see in Genesis two, when we see that God had rested. Sabbath just means to, it really means to cease or to stop. Right, So they're to stop all of their laboring and all of their work, and they are to trust God alone for all their provision for that day and just worship him and be with him. And he knows that that they need this. They're coming from a a life of 24-7 slavery. They're coming from a life of production, of laboring, of working, of survival. And God wants them to be set apart and be different than the world around them. And so he's instituting the Sabbath here for them. And it's supposed to be for them. It's not supposed to be an extra burden. It's supposed to be something that frees them to be his people, right? So to cease, to stop, <clears throat> sometimes we come to this passage and there's there's definitely confusion surrounding the Sabbath. Um, some people don't really think about it very much because it's Old Testament. It's... it's uh, you know, 10 commandments. That's a great old movie. It's a great old. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sort of know some of them. I know a few of them and I know I'm not supposed to murder people and commit adultery and I'm not supposed to carve idols. So I know those and the Sabbath's not really, really clear on that. And so, so unfortunately it's one of those things where this is all about rest and yet it divides the church sometimes. It divides us in how we engage with this. Is this still for us today because it's under Old Testament law, or is this not for us today as New Testament believers? Under the new covenant, is this wiped away? Is this gone? Well, we talked about how the Ten Commandments are the moral law of God, and we see all of the other commandments repeated sometimes multiple times in the New Testament. So we know that the first commandment is for us. We're not to worship other gods. We're not to make idols. Right? We're not to use the, name, the Lord's name in vain. And then moving through, we're, we're supposed to honor our father and mother. That's still for us today, and we'll see that next week. And we're not to murder. I think we got that one down. We know that, right? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Those are all repeated. Those are the ones that we know. The problem is that the Sabbath command is not repeated in the New Testament, it's nowhere in there. There's no rules and regulations that are perpetuated in the New Testament. So we're left to kind of figure out, well, if it's still part of God's moral law, is this still binding for us today? Well, the answer is yes. Um, we are still bound by all of God's moral law. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath, is still for us today. But you've got to remember, when Jesus came and ushered in the new covenant, he fulfilled the law. He transformed it, right? It's it's different now. Some degree. So We'll, we'll talk about this later, but remember, it's not just about not murdering people, but it's about not hating people in your heart, right? He brought it to the heart level. What's the purpose of this? It's not just about committing adultery. It's about lusting in your heart. So your mind, your heart, the entire self is involved when it comes to obeying God's moral law. And so, yes, we are We are to find our rest in God alone. We are to rest in Him but that rest is found now, the Sabbath rest is found in Jesus Christ, and we'll look at that in Hebrews 4 in a little while. So there's there's some, there's some uh, differences in views on this, and we'll walk through some of that this morning. But the ultimate goal here, to kind of set a level playing field, something that we can agree on, is that we all need rest, right? Ultimately, we need the rest and the peace knowing that we have salvation, that we don't have to earn our way, that we can't earn our way to God that we are sinful. We have fallen, all have fallen, and fallen short of the glory, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that and the wages of sin is death. There's no escaping that. Our condition is, is clear in scripture. And so we need a savior. And so we, we can try to labor and earn our way, but we, what's the standard? How, how do we know if we've reached that? Even the, the idea here in, in the law is that they were to labor to be God's people. They were to labor Right And all of the laws to be acceptable to God. But they, they could never do it perfectly. And so God in his grace and in his mercy gave them a day where they didn't have to do all of that. Where they could rest from their labors. And this was a foreshadowing pointing toward the rest that we have in Christ. The, the, the promised land was to be his rest. They were to find rest there from their enemies and to be his people and they would be his God or God would be their God. So rest is important for us. We would all, I think, agree with that. I was talking to my son the other day in the kitchen. I can't remember the the topic of the conversation, but ultimately I gave him some truism, some old saying, right? And I I can't remember what it was. And I remember him saying, like, where where did that come from? Like, oh, it's kind of an old saying. It's like, well, if you're saying it, does that mean you're old? Like, well, (laughs) apparently it does, I guess. I don't know. It's funny what starts to come out of your mouth, right? Um, but there, there's another old saying that I was thinking about. Um, you've heard you, you need to stop and smell the roses, right? You need to slow down and, and what's, what's the point of that? Are there roses every? No, but the idea here is to take a, take a breath, right? Slow down, notice things, notice God's creation, notice the beauty around you. Just take a moment. And you're in the hurriedness of your day and just stop for a second. I think all of us would agree within the course of our day, sometimes the best parts are when we can just take a little walk for 15 minutes, or we can sit on the front porch and just be quiet for a minute, or we can take a drive and turn the radio off and just listen, right, to the sounds of nothing. Oh, oh, there's a bird. I forgot that the birds even exist because I'm running around like crazy, And then when we think about the bird, we hear it, and we think of God's word, and we think, oh, you know, God's providing for every bird in the entire world every day. That's a lot of birds. And he's going to provide for me, too. That's his promise in Scripture. So when we stop and when we think about who God is and his creation and what he's done, and I was this morning just walking around the upper parking lot and just looking, and the green of the tree against the blue sky was just incredible to me. And this is fallen creation, it was just incredible just to walk in the sunlight and just, just hearing the sound. It was just quiet and and restful. And it was just like 10 minutes, but that's it's, it's reviving for you. It's refreshing for you. So we would agree that we need this in our life, but to what degree, how do we obey the fourth commandment in light of this? How do we walk in light of God's word? Let me read a couple other sections related to the, the fourth commandment. So we just read this in Exodus 20. Um, and you can turn with me or you can write the references down. I'm going to have a few of them. I'll read some of them. The others I won't. There's just too many. Um, but in Exodus, if we just go a few pages to the right, Exodus 31, God brings up the Sabbath yet again for his people. This is We find that the Sabbath is extremely important for God and his people. Exodus 31, verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it, profane means you just treat it as common like every other day. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Okay, now there's a death penalty involved with the Sabbath. This is how important it is to God. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. In that six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. God rested and was refreshed. So we see here kind of a God saying the same thing about the Sabbath, but expounding on it. There's a consequence. There's the death penalty involved here. It's a, to be observed throughout their generations as a covenant forever. We see that with other feasts in, in Leviticus 23, the Feast of Weeks, the same verbiage is used. This is a covenant forever. This is, a for, this is a, something that's, that needs to last forever, an ordinance that will be forever with your generations. And this really means that it's, it's, it will last as long as the covenant lasts. Right? Because we know the feasts and some of the other ceremonial laws and the civic laws are no longer for us. And so, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations, the covenant forever, this is how important. It's a sign. Once again, two times this is mentioned as a sign of the covenant. So, we see the, the, the covenant between Noah and God is the rainbow that God would never flood the earth again, right? And the Abrahamic covenant, we know that was what? Circumcision, right? That was given to Abraham. And, and if anyone is not circumcised, they're cut off from the people of God. This was that important. We saw earlier in, in Exodus 4 that Moses, God was going to go kill Moses as he was about to go in and, and lead his people. Why? Because Moses hadn't been circumcised yet. And so his wife had to get, get the doctor on the phone, call the specialist, make the appointment. Moses just wasn't on the ball. The wife had, she took care of it, right? And, and, and he was circumcised and God relented. And this is, how, this is how important it is. The sign was that important for God's people, that they would be circumcised, that they would be separate, separated from, from the rest of the world. They would be different. This was an external sign, obviously, There was no salvation um, inherent in it, but God commanded it for that time. Is circumcision still for us today as as New Testament believers? No. What what has replaced that? Once again, the deeper meaning, the fulfillment, the circumcision of the heart, right? We have a new heart, a heart that's consecrated to God, that's given to God. And so that sign is now gone, but it was that important. It would cut people off from, from being part of Israel. And so in the same way, this is a sign of the covenant between God and his people. The sign of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath. And if they don't keep it, then they're showing the world around them that they're the same as the world, that God really doesn't matter. We really don't have to obey and we can kind of do what we want to do. And God's saying, no, this, this incurs the death penalty. Essentially, you're going to be cut off from my people. You'll be cut off from my rest. And so this is a sign covenant with God's people. The other one is Deuteronomy chapter 5 this is when the law is given again and we see the 10 commandments being given again Deuteronomy 5 verse 12 now we saw it, it began the fourth commandment began in Exodus 20 remember right Remember, this is a this is an observance it's a, another point in the in the life of Israel to remember what God has done right to remember God's creation to remember The goodness of God. And this says, observe, so a little bit different, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest with you as well with you. It's interesting God has to be very specific. That's why it's so long, because He knows the heart of man. Well, I'll rest, but I'm going to make my my son work, or I'll make my daughter. Well, I've got servants; I'll make them work. Well, this guy's visiting; he's got to earn his keep. I'll make him do right. We, we there's there's a. God knows us, right? He knows that we're going to find a loophole in, in, in the law and say, well, this this doesn't really count, right, Lord? What if I get this this, this donkey out there doing some stuff? At least I'm getting some, some fields plowed. At least I'm getting some work done. I've got to keep up with the rest of the nations around us. We've got to be productive. And God say, no, 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 you can't do anything, and neither can your sons or daughters, and neither can any of your guests and people that are staying with you, and neither can any of your animals, No, the the work, just shut it off. Cease, stop all of your laboring, and trust me. And he says in verse 15, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the reasoning for the for the commandment in Exodus 20 was because God rested. It went back to Genesis. It was a creation ordinance, if you will. So since God rested, and what does it mean that God rested? He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Does God need to rest from anything? No, he doesn't need to rest. But it says he was rested. He was refreshed. What was the point of that? He created everything in six days, and it was perfect. His work was finished, and so the rest was a joyful satisfaction in the perfected work of creation. It's, it's done, And so he could could rest and enjoy that. It was the finished work of God, and it was very good. It was perfect. God rested in the perfection of his creation. And so that was the initial reason why he gave, since God rested from his work, you are to rest from your work. And this, in Deuteronomy 5, The reason is you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. So now he's bringing them back to, this is what I've done for you. So they are to remember God as creator, right? And remember God as redeemer. God is both. So, this is another point of remembrance. We have the festivals, we have the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you got the the Feast of the First Fruits, and you got the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of He has all these annual feasts going on and and all the, the celebrations on the new moon. So, He's got the monthly celebrations and the monthly remembrances, always to bring to mind who God is and what He has done and who they belong to, and that they are separate from the world. And now He's given them a weekly obligation, a weekly commandment. You have six days. You can get your work done. On that seventh day, though, I want you to rest completely. And that's pretty strict. He doesn't want them to do anything. He doesn't want them to find a loophole. He wants them to be restful, enjoy him, find their rest in him alone. And so we see this as a sign once again. And from how I read this, it's similar to the circumcision sign. It's a sign of the covenant between God and his people. And we also see the Sabbath kind of grouped together with other points of remembrance. And I'm getting to a point here with all of this eventually. Um, In Leviticus 23, there's a list of the feasts of the Lord, and the Sabbath is included as, as kind of the front end of that. In, in uh, Leviticus 23, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. A holy convocation, a holy assembly. A holy... So I want you to gather for worship, too. So there's there's a worship gathering component to this now. You shall do no work. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwelling places. And then you get to the Passover and the first fruits and the Feast of Weeks. And so it's included in these, these points of remembrance moving forward. But ultimately, it is a sign Pointing to what? It's a symbol pointing to something better. Ultimately, it's pointing to the idea of a Sabbath rest, and eternal rest with God. And so a couple other points of fact as we look at Old Testament use of the word Sabbath and, and how it was important for God's people. Um, number one, I already mentioned, is kind of the longest commandment. And it's important. It's, it's to set them apart. They're supposed to be living differently. They have a different rhythm of work and rest than the rest of the world around them. And, and God even brought that up a little bit earlier, right, in, in Exodus 16 when it comes to the manna. He didn't actually... Um, give the commandment at that moment in the same way. But he, he told them, I'm going to give you manna from heaven. And for six days, you're going to gather on that. On that sixth day, you're going to gather twice as much. And on the seventh day, you're not going to go out. You're, you're just going to rest. You're not going to go out looking for it. And some people still wandered around looking for it because they didn't know. right? And they had to learn a little. He was just teaching them and training them. No, I'll provide for you. I'll, I'm, I'm showing you right now that I can give you double the portion on, on Friday so that you don't have to worry about it on, on Saturday. I'll give you what you need. The Sabbath is mentioned more in the Pentateuch, the first five books than any of the other commandments mentioned 11 times. It's mentioned over a hundred times in the old Testament, right? It's, it's, it's important for the life of Israel. And failing to keep the Sabbath was, was a major complaint of the Lord against his people. It was one of the reasons for the exile later on in the life of Israel. We see this in Isaiah 58, Amos 8, So we see that it was important. They didn't keep it. It grieved God. It was a point of consequence for them. Then we move into the New Testament. We move forward and the Sabbath comes up because Jesus is on the scene and he's he's breaking all the rules. People don't like him. The Pharisees don't like him. The people that have protected the Sabbath with their, I mean, they, they've, they've taken the Old Testament law, and if you know the Pharisees, if you know and understand kind of what they have done, they take the Old Testament law and then they bury it under more laws just to make sure no one will break it. Right? And so the, the image that came to me was, I'm gonna go to the Grand Canyon and take a look. But just for safety reasons, they put up giant walls all over the place that are 20 feet thick and, you know, 30 feet high. So yeah, I'm not going to fall into the Grand Canyon because I don't even know it's there. I can't even see it anymore, right? You build up the walls and you, you build up, and, and so there's no joy in anything. Some of the little kids learning to ride their bikes, they're sitting on the bikes, there's 15 training wheels coming out in every direction, right? They've got helmets on, helmets, they've got everything. There's bubble wrap around them. Their parents are on both sides, like a landing strip. Okay, I don't know if I want to ride a bike anymore, Mom and Dad. This is just, what's what it? What's the point of this? How can I enjoy this? You've given me this gift, but then you've protected it so much that I can't have any fun with it, right? God provided the Sabbath as rest, as something to be not burdensome, to remove all the burdens of the law, so that they could rest in Him and trust in Him and not have to work, and there, there's all kinds of implications there. And the Pharisees, so that people don't break the Sabbath by doing any work, and there's a bead of sweat, you broke the Sabbath, and right. So they're going to protect it by adding all these layers. They actually add more burdens onto the people, so that the restful day is not restful at all. And it's meant to be a, a time of a day of mercy and compassion and helping others, and and they they won't do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus comes along, and we see this in in Matthew uh, 12 and Mark 2. We can turn to Mark 2 and just see a little taste of that. Jesus comes along, and he's everything he does, everything he says, they're looking to trap him. They're looking to show and prove that he broke the law. Jesus would never break any of God's laws, right? Jesus initiated all of these things. He is God. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He's without sin. The only things that Jesus broke were man-made versions of the law or man-made protections from the law. He never broke the law itself. In Mark 2, and there's, once again, this is in the synoptics, so you'll see in the other passages, uh, the other gospel accounts. Verse 23, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and there was nothing in the Old Testament law saying they couldn't do They weren't harvesting. So once again, the Pharisees are looking for, loop. yeah, they're harvesting. Look at that. No, they're they're gathering a couple pieces of grain so they can have a snack, right? And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in the Eden was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Sabbath was made for man. It was made to remove a burden. It wasn't, it wasn't the other way around. And so the son of man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. We see Jesus here equating himself with God, which was, they weren't happy about that. But he's saying now, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I initiated this. I can change this thing. I can do whatever I want with it. This is my, this is, this belongs to me. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's master over the Sabbath, And then there's healings. There's there's multiple places. Mark two twenty three through twenty eight really, really covers some of that. Um, if you're in. Uh, Mark 3, 1 through 6, and Matthew 12, Luke thirteen ten. There are all these places where it always, Jesus always finds himself healing people or doing good on the Sabbath, and he keeps, quest- he keeps being questioned by the, the Pharisees. Well, why do you keep doing this? Well, it, it, this is why I have come, and the Sabbath is meant to do good, and even you will, will you'll lead your animals to get some water on the Sabbath, but you, you won't allow me to heal this woman who's been, who's been in pain for years. So he's, once again, he's fulfilling the law perfectly. He's transforming it. He's, he's getting back to the heart issue of it. What is this really about? And so we see Jesus expelling all of these Pharisaical laws and, and that are covering over them. <clears throat> Jesus is keeping the Sabbath because what he was born under the law. But what we see with the Sabbath From that time moving forward, we see it kind of fade off the page of Scripture, just like we see the priesthood fade off, the temple, right, sacrifices. There were still some crossover because the Jews were becoming believers. There were Jewish Christians who still wanted to maintain some of their orthodoxy. They still wanted to do, but but we see that really fading. Why? Because Gentile Christians were also coming in to the fold, and they were not under the law. And some of the Jewish believers and some of the Judaizers, the Pharisees wanted to impose that law back on Gentile Christians, saying, no, no, if you want to be part of God's people, you have to keep the law perfectly. And he said, no, they became believers without the law. They became believers by, by faith, right? It was by grace alone. It wasn't by all these things. And and we couldn't earn it ourselves anyway. Why are you putting this back on them? Why are you adding all these things that were not necessary? It was Christ alone on the cross that saved. And so we see the Sabbath, fade off the page, right? There was a transition and, and what, what kind of took its place as the New Testament church, new believers in Christ? It was, it was the first day of the week, right? So it went from the seventh day, this Sabbath rest as part of the law, to now the first day of the week, Sunday. This was in large part due to the resurrection happening on Sunday. And we see this throughout the gospel accounts. You can go take a look. John 20, Luke 24, Mark 16, Matthew 28. You'll see that it specifically says on the first day of the week. This was, this was, the, this was the exciting, this, this was the, the, the pivotal moment in history. This was the foundation of all that we believe as Christ followers. The resurrection of Christ. We celebrated it last week. Without it, we're still dead in our sins. There's no hope. But because of it, we have life. We have eternal rest in Christ. And so, so it, it made sense that transition to what's called now the Lord's Day. We see it saying the first day of the week in multiple places. We see in Acts 20, verse 7, that they began to gather on the first day of the week. There was worship happening. Right? 1 Corinthians 16, there was a collection for the saints happening on the first day of the week. We see a lot of church-like activities happening on the first day of the week. Even in Revelation 1, John said he was in the spirit on what? The Lord's day. That's the only place you see in scripture where it says the Lord's day. And John said it as if everyone understood it. This is end of the first century, 96 AD. How how does everyone know about this? It was just a pattern that, that took place in the New Testament church. Things were happening on the first day as a celebration, as a remembrance of the resurrection of Christ. It makes sense. But there were no conditions put on that. There were no commandments related to it. It's just what naturally took place. And so, some other facts, there, there's, there's no place in the New Testament where Sunday, the first day of the week, is called a Christian Sabbath. And there's, here's where we get to the, the tension, if you will, and Hopefully, none of you have things that you can throw this far at me, but so when it comes to the church and the Sabbath, um, there, there is, there's some, there's there's a spectrum of belief system, of beliefs on, on this whole thing. Um, some of you have heard the term Sabbatarian, Sabbatarianism. Um, Sabbatarians will typically, like a Seventh day Adventist, they're a Seventh day Baptist, they'll typically believe that the, The Old Testament, the Jewish seventh day, the Saturday is still to be the Sabbath, even for believers now. And so with with all of the kind of obligations, not enforced by death, of course, but as part of God's moral law, you keep the Sabbath on the seventh day. It's just a continuation. So they would believe that. They would enforce that. There would be judgment related to that you would not be part of God. I mean there's 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 an extreme version of that which says you're not even saved if you don't observe the Sabbath in that regard. <clears throat> then there are Christian Sabbatarians, if you will, or those who believe in the Christian um, Sabbath, which is now Sunday, they, they understand and recognize the transition from Old Testament to New, that the pattern has changed, that the Jewish Sabbath, Israel Sabbath, has faded off the pages, is no longer binding, but there's still a fourth commandment that has just transferred from Saturday to Sunday. And so as believers, we are to obey this command. We are to keep the Sabbath moving forward as part of God's moral law. Um, I've already mentioned, and you probably you probably already know where I kind of lean on this. I, I disagree with that to the point where once again, the other nine commandments are specifically repeated multiple times in the New Testament. The fourth commandment's not. The fourth commandment was identified as a sign multiple times in the Old Testament. So this Sabbath was a sign of the covenant to come. It was a shadow. It was a foreshadow of what was to come. It wasn't the substance that's in Christ. It was just a shadow. And so Christian Sabbatarians, if you will, or or those who keep the Christian Sabbath are those who would <clears throat> um even even to the strictest sense say that you are to rest from all of your work, vocational work, you don't do any work at all, um, not even exercise, you don't you don't do take public transportation, you don't fly to another location, you don't go to eat at restaurants because you're essentially um not that any of those people at restaurants or pilots would quit their job if you didn't show up. We know that's not true. Um, we like to think that we're that important, but we're not. But we're essentially enabling—we don't have—we have to have a good conscience that we're not enabling others to work on the Sabbath. We're, we're, we're separating ourselves. We're being separate and, and showing that we need to rest in God completely so we don't do anything, they're really, they're, and there's, you know, how do you walk that line? You have to ask the question: What's the purpose of the day, and what's the purpose of this activity in the day? Is this is the activity to worship God, to rest in God, or is it really to please myself? Is it is it to do things I want to do? And so, um, any type of entertainment, I mean, even if you play board games, it's got to be Bible trivia versions, right? There's 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 an there's an extreme version of that, and then there's there's those in between who will determine based on conscience, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable on the Christian Sabbath. Right. And then there's, there's those on the other stream who said, well, we're free to do whatever we want. We're no longer under the, under the obligation of this, of this fourth commandment. And once again, I believe we are, but it has been transformed and fulfilled in Christ. And so we find our rest in him and how we rest in him. That's kind of the key. As far as my opinion goes, and, and this, was, this, was a, this is a tough one for me because I, I, there's, there are, I've got friends, there are theologians, there are authors, there are people that I trust, I read their commentaries, I, I really sit under their teaching, and I trust them implicitly. And some people believe more strictly that there should be a Christian Sabbath that is observed, and, and we're deficient if we don't observe it in that way. And they're not doing it in a judgmental way, they're just saying this is necessary for us. And they they will stick to a more strict kind of rule of life when it comes to Sundays. And then there's others that I trusted who who are who believe differently. And I, I kind of lean over here on this side and there's a reason for it. Number one, there's no place in the Testament where Sunday, first day of the week, is called a Christian Sabbath. We don't, still don't see this verbiage. We're not commanded to keep the Sabbath. Even in the council in Jerusalem when, when the Jews were coming in and saying, they, you know, Gentile believers have to be circumcised. And so, the, so they went to the, the council in Jerusalem and they said, well, what, should we really, what should we really focus on? What burdens should we allow to, to, to remain from Judaism that are helpful for the whole body? And, and the Sabbath wasn't mentioned there. Right? It was about sexual immorality, refraining from that, refraining from anything closely related to idolatry, anything that has, don't eat food that has this blood still in it, anything that's been strangled. There's, there were four or five points that were given in Acts 15, but the Sabbath was, if that was that important, if it was still on the stage, we would see that as something that you can't, you can't erase, you can't get rid of. So it's not repeated in the New Testament. Once again, it was a sign that was fulfilled in Christ. And then we see some other texts that, that help us with that. And to be honest with you, those who are Christian Sabbatarians or Christian who believe in the Sabbath needs to be kept more formally and strictly. They will read these texts and, and interpret them a little bit differently. But the heart of these texts is not to be judgmental, is to include everyone. And so let's read a few of these. Colossians 2. And these are a few important ones for us. Colossians 2. Verses 16 through 17. This is Paul writing to the church. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. So remember, they're, they're coming out of Judaism and there's unclean and there's clean, right? And they're still struggling with that. And we can understand that. If you come from more of a formal background and you come to a church and people are raising their hands and you're like a little, I don't know what to do here. This is, this feels uncomfortable. Why are those people, they're going to start rolling around the floor and making all kinds of, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that, right? There's, there's a, there's an idea of breaking from tradition and things you're not used to. And God is, has allowed us to eat and drink whatever we like, as long as we do it unto him for his glory, not for our own. He's, has deemed all things clean. So Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions about food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And what we read here is that we look at, once again, festivals, feasts, these were annual. Points of remembrance, new moons would be monthly and Sabbaths would be weekly, the weekly Sabbath. Now, there are Sabbaths included in festivals that are separate, and some would interpret it saying, well, those Sabbaths, that's what the Sabbath here means. It means the Sabbath of the festivals or the Sabbath year or those things, but we don't, we can't really draw that out of this text. This, 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 this trio of festival, new moons, and Sabbath are actually paired together often. Um even in the Old Testament there's a pattern there because it kinda covers the gamut of these points of remembrance. And you can write these down and look these up later if you like. But Ezekiel forty five, seventeen, Hosea two eleven, Isaiah one thirteen, Second Chronicles eight thirteen, and second chronicles thirty one three, the this pairing, festivals, new moons and sabbath are all paired together. If we could turn to Romans, two more, two more just to help us with this. And this is for you to investigate and to read and to consider and to pray on your own. And and we'll we'll come to some applications here in a moment. Romans 14, verse five. Once again, this is about passing judgment, right? We'll start with verse one, Romans 14, verse one, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So it's a matter of personal conviction. We all grow differently in our faith, right? What's, What's acceptable to us? Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And once again, paired with the food laws, which were just, just practical things that, that the new Christians struggled with. And remember, we have the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians all trying to learn how to, how to live together, coming from completely different backgrounds and contexts here. One person esteems one day as better than another. So this is talking about days now. One day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So the idea here is... Whatever your conscience, just bring it to the Lord. Ask God, Lord, what, what do you want me to do here? Don't try to force it. Don't try to make it your own based on tradition or what you think or what you heard in some other book that you read or what do you read God's word? Consider what God has to say about this. Pray about what's the best thing for you and your family. And maybe you need to be a little more strict because you are weak and you, you know that if you don't do it, the TV's going to be on all day. You're going to have noise all day. You're just going to go into work all day. And maybe you're not prohibited in scripture from doing it, but it's not helpful for your soul. You need to rest. And so if you need to put some guidelines up, if it's beneficial for your family because that's the family dynamic and you just need to put structures in place to make things quiet so people can think and read, then do those things. But if you're adding burden upon burden, and if it's not out of gratitude, but out of guilt instead, that you're not doing something right, you're never going to be free. You're supposed to walk in freedom of the Lord, right? So we want to avoid legalism. We want to avoid license as well legalism is saying that I've got to do all these things. Because this is what I believe the scripture saying. And if everyone else doesn't do it my way, then I'm going to judge them accordingly and I'm going to have contention and there's going to be division. That's legalism and that's not healthy at all. And then there's license. Well, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. I'm good to go. Right. I'm on the train. I'm good. I'm just going to relax and it doesn't matter what I do. No, that's not true either. And so there's wisdom to be found in here. And so in Romans, don't pass judgment on one another. The last thing is uh, Galatians four, and I, I do uh, commend you guys to go and read these on your own and consider what they say and read some books about this and, and look at both sides. I was I've been reading about both both arguments and both sides, and I'm just it's just, the Lord just provided insight and there's wisdom on on both sides, and I. It's it's not something that to me is contentious. Um, I see it more clearly because of my study on this, but perhaps you see it differently. And we can we can talk about those things, but not to burden one another or judge one another improperly. Galatians four nine through ten. Once again, dealing with Judaizers coming into the church, um, Jewish Christians trying to put extra burdens on God's people. You got to be part of God's family, you got to do that, you got circumcisions important, you got to keep the law, you got to do all these things. And Paul says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So the observation of all these things, once again paired together, shows that these have passed away. They're, not, they're, they're part of the old system. They will not save you. To try to keep those is adding a burden on that's not necessary. And for some who will look at The creation ordinance as kind of the key, the capstone here. This is, but yeah, but this goes back the fourth commandment. If you remember, this goes back to creation. This is before the fall. God had put this in place. What did he say? On it, you shall not do any work. We're back in Deuteronomy 20. No one's going to do any work. And he said, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Remember, he he didn't need to rest physically. He didn't need to rest. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But he rested in a sense of joy and satisfaction in the perfected work, the finished work of creation. It was his finished work. And so we tie that together as a sign and a symbol. Lastly, in Hebrews 4, we see this creation ordinance being brought back to bear on this idea of a Sabbath rest to be found in Christ alone. Because once again, this, it was a sign, it was a symbol pointing toward the coming Messiah who would provide permanent rest for his people. Right? The Old Testament law, you're constantly working. You're constantly trying to please God, be acceptable. All the laws, ceremonial, the temple, the civic laws, you've got to keep all the sacrificial system. You've got to do all these things. And then Christ came and he was our priest and he's our sacrifice and all of our rest is found in him. In Hebrews 4, 9 to 10 helps us with that. Actually, let's start in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So re- he's talking about his rest the people of God related to Israel coming into the promised land, that temporary rest, and that's the verbiage he's using. Remember today, if you hear your heart, do not harden your hearts. Is in the rebellion, and he's talking about those in the rebellion, the original... Israelites coming out of Egypt, they did not enter his rest, right? Because they disobeyed him. So they had to wander for 40 years And the next generation was, who was allowed to go into his rest in the, in the promised land. So they were not allowed to enter his rest. That's the the comparison he's making here. Therefore, while promising verse four, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So we're believing in Christ. We enter his rest. As he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So we're bringing this back to bear on this idea of Sabbath and rest. The creation ordinance, and again in this passage he said, "They shall not enter my rest." Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Israelites. Again, he appoints on a certain day, today, saying, the, "Through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted." Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So he's taking the, the call to Israel, the call to not harden your hearts, to be obedient children, to be my be my people and enter my rest. He's, that same call that he had for Israel in the desert, it's the same call for us today. Don't harden our hearts toward the message of God. There's, here's the good news. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Only he can save you from your sins. Don't harden your heart against that. Right? Otherwise, you won't be able to enter his eternal rest. And here, here's coming back to, in verse 8, the idea of this temporary rest in the promised land. For if Joshua had given them rest, meaning bringing them to the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest, a ceasing, stopping, complete rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Now we see the creation ordinance being brought to bear on this. What do we find? The Sabbath rest was meant to foreshadow rest in Christ. Just as God rested from his work, God's rest and his refreshment was a joyful satisfaction in the perfected work of creation. It was finished. It was done. Our rest is in the joyful satisfaction of the finished work on the cross. The work is finished. It's done. There's nothing else to be done. There's no other means of salvation. This is it. And when we put our faith in Christ, we have true rest just as God rested from his work. And so we're to stop ceasing and trying and trying to earn our way and through guilt, trying to manufacture fruit in our life, we are to rest in the Lord Jesus alone. We can rest from the finished work of Christ on the cross. He's, he's, he's done. It's perfected. So that is how I read these texts and how I see the progression and how I see moving from Old Testament to New Testament, from, from, from the Sabbath under the Jewish law, the Mosaic law as a sign to the New Testament, no longer binding for Christians as a commandment because it was pointing towards something better, the substance being Christ. That's how I see this moving through. So does that mean I can ignore the fourth commandment? I'm good to go. I'm going to go home, turn on some sports. Well... One thing to consider is that it is called the Lord's Day, and that has been consistent through even the second century, historically through the church, Sunday, and and around the world really, Sunday has just been this pattern, there's been this principle of of going and worshiping with God's people, of resting in the Lord, of resting from your work. Does that mean you, you can't go and do some things if you have to go into work? Of course not. You have the freedom to do that. You need to, I'm working right now, I'm not resting very much right at the moment, but we have to find moments. We have to, if you want to, if you want to have a relationship with the Lord, if you want to spend time with the Lord, you've got to set aside time, right? If you want to worship, if, if it's an aspect of gratitude, then we, we, need to, we need to discipline ourselves to set aside that time. So we're, 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 to, we're, still bound, we're still bound by the fourth commandment, but it's found in Christ. We rest in him. So how do we rest in Christ? I think that's the question, right? We spend time with him. We've got to set aside time to do that. For almost, I don't know how many, <laughs> how many months we were separated from the pandemic last year and you were alone in your homes watching TV, watching, you know, sermons online and doing some other things. How, how much did you crave coming back to be with God? When we reopened those doors, it was, we, we all came back, Right. It was there's there's something about that that is that is inherent in us as believers as a sense of gratitude. We want to worship our Lord. We want to worship Him individually in our quiet devotions. We want to worship Him as a family and with other friends and small groups. We want to worship Him together publicly. This is part of the imprint that God has given us here. It's a pattern of the church. There's principles still inherent here, and we see this in since we're in Hebrews here. Hebrews chapter 10, this full assurance of faith and talking about our faith and let us hold fast to the confession, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more we're supposed to be meeting together, encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and goers. You have to do that together. You can't do that apart, right? Every time I try to spur someone on on Zoom, suddenly the connection gets a little fuzzy and someone has to, has to go or, right, there's a dog barking in the background. No, we need to be together. We need to spend time. And so we're, we're, we're to be, as the day draws near, we're to be meeting together more often, doing more things to the, being encouraged. Why? Because as the day draws near, things get worse and worse. Right? the pressures are just increasing on us. And so a few things as far as how do we rest in Christ? How do we do this? Number one, the Lord's day, it's his day, not just the Lord's morning, right? Consider that there's a purpose in that. It's the Lord's day, so although I don't believe we're under the New Testament requirement, or I'm sorry, the Old Testament requirement to keep the fourth commandment, as some Sabbatarians or maybe Christian sabbatarians might might think of or might that's in their conscience, if that's what's helpful for them, then of course I'm gonna obey the word of God and, and Paul's instructions that Okay, I, you, you can't do this, you can't, you're not going to do that. Okay, that's, I'm going I'm to learn from them and say, well, that's, that's, that's devotion. I'm also going to be a brother and see if if they're putting burdens on their family and they're getting angry and bitter and they're starting to be judgy because I'm not doing the same things, then we have to have a conversation. But until then, that's, that's good. But the Lord's Day, we don't neglect a meeting together. So we show up for worship. We come together. We hear from God's word. J.C. Ryle has a, has a good quote that I really like. He says, Never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never to miss the Lord's Supper when administered in our own congregation. Never to let our place be empty when means of grace are going on. This is one way to be a growing and prosperous Christian. The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word in season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered and established and quickened our hearts. Satan's lie to us is, well, you need to rest. Don't go to church. You need to spend the a day to yourself, right? You don't need to go sit around all these people and say there. You, we don't, you don't need, no, this is the very place maybe you need to be. Because you need to hear from the Lord. You need to experience the love of God's people. There's grace involved with this. And so is the worship of God on the Lord's day, is it central to your day, or is it just an obligation to get out of the way? We've got to get through church, and then we've got lunch, and then we've got the next thing, right? Or, or is there something that's central about coming here? Not just the Lord's morning, but the Lord's day. So we don't neglect the Lord's day. We, we come together. This is the history of the Christian church because it's a pattern and a principle that is for our souls. It's for us. We can't spend time with God or God's people if we don't set aside time. And so we need to do that. Second thing is we need to learn and live in the principle of rest. God has given us, each of us, enough time every day and every week to get everything done that he wants us to get done. He gives us enough time. He has created good work for us to do. He has he's given us enough time. It's just a matter of reordering your life. I try to think of it this way for myself. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christ follower first. I'm a believer. This is this is my first kind of tier and how I prioritize. I'm a believer first, and so my my life priorities should be shaped by that. Then I'm then I'm a husband. Then I'm a father. If I try to be a father without being a good husband and without being a a good Christian and following Christ, I'm going to be deficient in my fatherhood. I'm not going to have anything to give, right? I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and then I'm vocationally whatever I do for a living. If we get those out of order, we have problems, So live and learn the principle of rest. How, how, how do you rest? How do you need to do that? That's, that can be personal. Talk to the Lord about that. We rest by worshiping him, being with God's people, fellowship, yes. We rest by being alone and being quiet with him, being still before him. We rest in God's word. We are refreshed and nourished by reading his word, right? Because while God is renewing our mind, all the worries and all the news we read and all the problems that are out there and all the stresses, we begin to read God's word. And we are, what? We find peace, We find rest in Christ because he's overcome the world. He's the only one. So we need to study, understand the beauty and benefits of our rest in Christ. Resting from striving to earn salvation. Resting from our worry. Casting our anxiety on him because he cares for us. Resting from our fear. God is sovereign over everything. Jesus wants us to come to him. All who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. He's the only one. Father, we're just going to be still before you for a moment. Just be quiet and let you speak to our hearts about this. Thank you, Father, for even a short, quiet moment. We pray that you would help us to to find more of those, to make more of those in our day. Lord, if we read the scriptures and we learn about who you are, what you've done, your holiness, your goodness, your perfection, and as a holy God looking down at sinful man, your desire to save us, to make a way when there was no way, Lord, to bring us from death to life through your Son, Jesus Christ, we should just be sitting in complete awe. This, This amazing gift that you've given us, and that we can enter true rest through your Son for eternity. And we're not home yet. We're not there yet. But every time we walk with the Prince of Peace, every time we spend time with our Lord Jesus in the Word and in prayer and the fellowship of His people, Lord, we find find rest. We find this goodness, this this picture of what things are going to be like. We, We get little glimpses here, Lord, of what our eternity looks like. This is all temporary. How much better is it to, to walk in peace in this world, to be rested from all these worries and all these all these strivings and all these laborings, Lord, that we put on ourselves. We we heap it on ourselves, Father, and then we are frustrated and burdened, and we point to you and ask, Where is our rest, O God? Why won't you help me, Lord? Why won't you take these burdens from me? And you have, and you've called us to rest. Help us, Lord. Help us to see clearly the way we prioritize our lives, how we create our own chaos, Lord. Forgive us of our sin, Father. We repent of our sin, self-centeredness. That we sometimes, Lord, honestly, I I fear, Lord, sometimes we are bored with you. We think of religion more than this relationship, this vibrant walk with you, Father. And that is not right. If we open the scriptures, if we are attuned to the Holy Spirit, if we give ourselves to you in repentance and and come to you freely as your people, Lord, in prayer and in fellowship, Father, you do amazing things. You're so gracious. And even when we don't do those things, Lord, you you have a way of breaking through and bringing us back because you love us that much. We are your promised people. We Thank you for that, Father. Help us now as we go in this week and the rest of our day to not feel the weight of guilt or to try to add burdens, but just to be prayerful, to be mindful that we need to set aside time, that this is your day, Father. And if this day is a day that we have to work sometimes, Father, we would find another day. But ultimately, help us to have hearts that desire to be with you. Help us to have hearts that desire more of the things of you and not things of this world. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.